Well, good evening. It's good to be with you at church tonight. We've been having church all day and it's been awesome. And I'm glad that you're with us this evening. Uh, it's good to worship together, isn't it? It's good to worship with you. Church is better with you in it. You know that? Uh, and if you're with us online, we're glad that you're joining us. But we also would love to see you back here once you're able to be here. So we are grateful when we get to come together. We don't take it for granted that we get to come together and worship Jesus with other believers. Isn't it good when you're worshiping to be reminded, oh, yeah, I'm not the only one who loves Jesus. <laughs> it's encouraging, right? It builds your faith up to be reminded like that. Uh, we are in a series in Exodus, and we will be for some time. If you want to follow along in chapter 4, I want to talk tonight about humility versus insecurity and confidence versus pride. I did a poll on my Instagram, uh, which, you know, you could follow me on there, and you'll get all kinds of extra bonus content and uh, things you never asked for as well. <laughs> I did a poll, and I asked, are you more likely to struggle with insecurity, or pride? And I got some results, but I want to see with you guys what you would say. How many of you, show of hands, full participation, please. How many of you would say, I am more likely to struggle with insecurity? Okay, thank you for participating. Uh, all right, now how many of you would say, I'm more likely to struggle with pride? Okay, more people in this service. All right, good. Thank you. Uh, and I know not everybody raised your hand. I want to count you too. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand because you were worried what people would think about you, I'm going to count you as insecurity, all right? <laughs> and um, if you didn't raise your hand because you don't want anyone telling you what to do, and you, or you're like, I don't struggle with anything, I'm going to count you as pride. Or uh, maybe there's like another option. Maybe you're like, I just struggle with both and I can't figure out which one I struggle with more. I feel like that in, in many ways. Like I think I struggle with both of those things. I actually have a hard time figuring out which one more. Um, so in Exodus chapter four, verse 10, we're gonna talk about Moses and his conversation with the Lord that started in chapter three, where God called him to go and lead his people out of Egypt where they were in slavery. And Moses objected and said, who am I? And he had this back and forth with God. And, and so this conversation continues, and I think it's a great opportunity to talk about humility versus insecurity and confidence versus pride. In verse 10, it says, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear? see or do not see. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and this is a very emphatic statement, now go and I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Okay, so I want to talk about a few things. First is the idea that I hear often that Moses had a speech impediment. And I've heard that repeated, and I just want to talk about that. There is a possibility that that could be true, but I would argue that it's probably not the case. 
and this idea, well, Moses had a speech impediment or a stutter, I think that is a little bit of an example where sometimes preachers will embellish the details to make a story more compelling. You know, just, just more compelling to think about Moses murdering an Egyptian, and if God could use a murderer, he could use you. And I talked about this, like the Bible never says he actually murdered the Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian, but he was justified in killing the Egyptian. And it kind of sounds motivating to say, you know, Moses had a stutter, and if God could use a stutterer, he could use you. And you think, yeah, but I don't think that's really what's going on here. Moses said, I am slow of speech and of tongue. That could mean different things. Uh, maybe you speak really well, but have you ever had one of those moments where after a conflict, you think, I should have said this. I thought of the perfect thing to say the next morning, right? And that, and that could be what he's talking about. Pharaoh had magicians in his court that were known to be very proficient orators. Uh, and even in some uh, translations of the Bible, like in the message translation, which is a paraphrase, and I think you have to be careful how much you rely on it. It does say in Exodus chapter 6 that Moses had a stutter, um, but here's what it says in another translation, in more literal word-for-word -word translation. The Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Anybody born with uncircumcised lips? <laughs> not a phrase you hear thrown around a whole lot. Uncircumcised lips, what does he mean by that? What is wrong with Moses's mouth? That's what we wanna know. Well, I think what he is trying to communicate is that he feels unworthy for this great calling. That's the main idea. And one commentary says this, the answer lies not in physiology, but in culture, in the style of ancient Near Eastern, listen, exaggerated humility, often employed in situations where one is appealing for help or mercy from someone else or showing one's mannerly self-deprecation at being given a great assignment. It's like if you get an award or honored and you think, oh, I'm no one, I don't deserve this. That's kind of what we see, and that was a part of the Hebrew culture, to exaggerate humility when you are honored or given a great assignment. It's kind of a ritual protest that Moses is going through with God. And we understand this because we do this in our culture in many ways as well. You go through ritual protests. Did you know that? Like, think about this. You've gone out to dinner with friends, and when the waiter brings the check, you both pretend like you want to pay for it. You go, I got this, and your friend's like, oh no, I got this. And they reach for it, and you're like, no, I couldn't. I couldn't let you, bro. And you're like, I got it, I got it. And you go back and forth, and really in your heart, both of you are thinking, that'd be awesome if you get this. That'd be, that'd be great, thank you. Be, it's about time you pay for something, seriously. But it just feels impolite not to object a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? So we see this in the Hebrew culture throughout Scripture, and I'll, I'll just give you a few examples so that you know I'm not making this up. In Genesis 18, when the Lord calls Abraham, Abraham says, I am nothing but dust and ashes. Now, that's no way to talk about yourself, bro. You were made by God in his image. Or in 1 Samuel 9, when Saul had been anointed king, 
He said, I'm, not a, I'm a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel, and my clan is the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. So why, why do you say such a thing to me? And in reality, he was part of a really prominent, well-known, popular, influential family. But he was protesting, like, I'm not worthy. Or King David, when Saul later pursued him out into the wilderness, King David said, or David said before he was king, said, I'm only a poor man and little known. And in reality, he was already a famous war hero. And people sung songs about him. Uh, Mephibosheth uh, bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? That's no way to talk about yourself. This guy, give this guy a self-help book, right? Uh, or how about this? Um, King Solomon, he said, I'm only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. I'm only a little child. He was already 30 years old at this point. That's strange. Or the prophet Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. What does that mean? It, it mean that chocolate all over his face? I don't know. No, he, he was saying, I feel unworthy. To be unclean was to be unworthy, to be sinful. When Moses said, I have uncircumcised lips, you know, if you were not circumcised, you could not participate in the rituals of worship in the Jewish culture. And so it was one way he, could, he was saying, I'm not fit for this assignment. Or how about... Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, in chapter 1 of Jeremiah, he says, I am uh, only a child. I do not know how to speak. But we don't ever say that he was a mute. And he went on to speak eloquently for the next 41 years. Or lastly, the apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, he says, I am the least of all God's people. Dude was probably the most influential Christian in history after Jesus. He said, I'm the worst of all sinners in 1 Timothy. It's like, you're, you're probably not the worst, <laughs> right? But this is exaggerated humility, and it was common in the Jewish culture. All these point to the simple fact that Moses was not speaking literally, but figuratively, responding to this great assignment with the proper sort of exaggerated humility and self-effacement expected and valued in his culture. And in fact, all of scripture supports the idea that he was actually a great communicator and speaker. In Acts chapter 7, this is what Stephen says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in both speech and action. Well, there you have it. It's the word of God. This is about Moses before he even met God at the burning bush. He was already a powerful communicator and if you read it on the surface, you'd be like, well, it seems like it contradicts what Moses is saying in Exodus chapter 4 when he says he's not uh, good at communicating. But so now that you understand the cultural implications of what he said, you understand what's going on. And it makes us ask the question, was Moses humble or was he insecure? And I think a lot of you struggle with insecurity at times. I think we all have. And then all of us as Christians, we want to be humble as much as possible, but we, we don't always achieve that. So I think here we can talk about it and we'll learn a lot. The Bible tells us that Moses was not just humble, but he was very humble. Here's what it says in Numbers chapter 12. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Do you know why this is funny? Because he wrote this. <laughs> Could you imagine putting that on your LinkedIn profile under achievements? 
I'm the most humble man on the face of the earth. It's like, bro, I don't think you can say that about yourself. Could you imagine Moses writing this on his papyrus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Like now remember the Lord Moses was the most humble. What? I can't say that. That doesn't sound humble, right? It's crazy. Uh, So this word humble here in this verse, it's not the normal Hebrew word for humility, but uh, it's one that conveys an individual's devout dependence upon the Lord. And Moses was very humble and recognized his need for the Lord. And so I want you to understand the difference between humility and insecurity and also confidence versus pride. And I think you can only understand them if you talk about them all together kind of at the same time. So let me, tr- let me try it this way. Insecurity and pride comes from emphasizing I, whereas humility and confidence comes from emphasizing I am. And if you were here in previous weeks, you know when I say I am, who am I talking about? God. His name is Yahweh, which is translated in English as I am, who I am. And when we say I am, we're talking about him and emphasizing him. Insecurity and pride, which are obviously sinful attitudes, they have very different types of feelings associated with them, but they both stem from an emphasis on I. I, me, me, myself, and I. If you're more prone to insecurity, that was about 75% of you in the room and also in my, my poll, you'll likely struggle more with fear and depression. You'll feel afraid often, wondering things like, well, what do people think about me? Do people like me? What's going to happen to me? What does this mean about me? And you'll have a lot of negative self-talk, like, oh, I'm so stupid. I can't do anything right. Nobody likes me. I'll never amount to anything. And if you're prone to insecurity, you'll also often struggle with depression. Because when God does call you, you'll, you'll allow fear to inhibit you from following in the calling that he has on your life. And when you live outside of God's calling on your life, it's hard to be joyful. Okay, then there's some of you who said you struggle with pride more. I think we all struggle with pride at times. When you're being prideful, you're more likely to feel the emotion of anger. Anger. You become easily offended. People cut you off. People overlook you. They fail to invite you. They fail to promote you. And a prideful reaction is angry. How dare they do that to me? Don't they know who I am? How dare they disrespect me? It has a lot of self-inflating self-talk. Like, well, I'm the man. I don't need coaching because I'm already the best. I don't need correction because I never do anything wrong. I don't need practice because I'm already perfect. And pride leads to downfall. This is one of the verses that even non-Christians know. In Proverbs 16, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Pride goes before the fall. Have you heard that? This word abomination, I just want to highlight that. That word abomination sounds very harsh because it communicates a very strong thing. In Hebrew, it communicates the idea that God is repulsed by this sin. It's repulsive to God. Um, So to give you an example, I have a beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, two years, eight months. She's growing every day. She's so cute, and she's so sweet. But she has produced some diapers that are an abomination. (laughs) 
truly makes you wonder how could something so horrible come from someone so beautiful? And you see, I love my daughter dearly. I would die for her, but her diaper is an abomination and repulsive to me, and I want nothing to do with it. Okay, so that's how God feels about people who have a haughty spirit. They're arrogant in their heart. The Bible says that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. And so when we laugh and chuckle at like funny characters in a TV show, like, oh, they're so funny. We just got to remember that God loves sinners who are struggling with sin. But there are some sins that he says that is repulsive because it defies his creation order. And we don't want to wink at something that God does not like, right? Okay, so we're talking about this. Both insecurity and pride overemphasize I, I. They're two heads of the same monster. It's like a two-headed snake. Do you know such things exist as two-headed snakes? This is the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> snakes are gross as it is, but a two-headed snake? Confession time. Got to confess, years ago, I had a guest speaker at the church. A lot of you probably weren't here then. He's a really good guy. He preached a really good sermon, but he wanted to bring a live snake out on the stage as a sermon illustration. And I was like, that sounds cool, you know? And so I'm sitting there watching it, and I think to myself, this was a terrible idea, Ryan. Because <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, it'll be interesting. It actually was a pretty good illustration. And I started thinking to myself, if you're a guest on a day when the preacher is holding a live snake on stage, yeah, you're never coming back. Like, so I want to have the humility to admit that was stupid of me to allow that. Okay, but so two-headed snake, right? Uh, it doesn't matter which head bites you, still going to be poisonous. Whether it's insecurity or pride, they both stem from the same place, an overemphasis on I. And it's not always easy to recognize the danger of this guy in your life. Because if you struggle with insecurity, it's easy to just dwell in it. It's easy just to live in a state of insecurity. Why? Because the world, the world loves, the world celebrates victim mentality. If you see yourself as a victim and insecure and you just like, oh, I just, I'm not good enough. You know, people will be like, oh, girl, you are good enough. And it just kind of, we, we're, we're like always feeding into that victim mentality. And if you see yourself as a victim, you will always struggle with insecurity. If you struggle with insecurity, you're always prone to seeing yourself as a victim. So I, I think that's why like 75% of the people who responded to my poll said they struggle with insecurity and only 25% said pride. Because it's a little more culturally acceptable to be like, yeah, I, I wrestle with insecurity. And it's like, girl, no, you're awesome. You should love yourself. <laughs> right. It's also hard to recognize pride, okay? Because if you are truly prideful, and let's be honest, we've all had prideful moments, but if you're really prideful, you probably won't see your pride. And if someone confronts you about it, you won't care to listen to them. So it's hard to get out of a place where you're just like, man, I'm, I'm really trapped with pride, in pride. You need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to set you free from that. Okay, so if insecurity and pride is like a two-headed snake, then I want you to think about humility and confidence like a two-edged sword, okay? I always love opportunities to bring swords on stage. 
because I just figure, you know, then all the junior high boys will definitely be paying attention. It, they might not have listened to a single word I said, but then they're like, sword. This sermon is tight. Okay, so I want you to think about humility and confidence like a two-edged sword. Two edges of the same sword. You can't swing one edge without swinging the other at the same time. So I'm going to talk about some of these things. Whereas insecure people focus on insufficiencies, humble people are aware of their own limitations and weaknesses. You say, hey, there's some things I'm good at. There's some things I'm not, I'm not good at. That's okay. That's, that's, that's humility. Whereas insecure people think that they, they don't do anything good enough, humble people know that even when they do something well, there's always room to grow. So they're open to coaching and feedback and correction. Whereas insecure people crave recognition. Please, someone tell me I'm doing a good job. Please, someone appreciate me. Please, someone tell me I look good today. Right? Prideful people demand recognition. Like I, I've met prideful people in churches where they're like, I've been serving today and no one said thank you to me. I'm like, well, who are you doing it for? Like, God sees. Like, isn't that good, right? We're, okay, humble people, they're fine with or without it. If you give them some recognition, they're thankful. But if you don't, they know, hey, I'm doing it for God. It's, it's not that I need recognition. Insecure people walk through life looking at everything through the lens of what does this mean for me? How does this affect me? Prideful people walk through life thinking, it's all about me. Humble people go through life saying, it's not all about me. And they flip the focus from themselves to others. And they say, well, how can I be a blessing to others? So you can think about it this way. Insecure people focus on their own weakness. Prideful people focus on their own greatness. And humble people focus on God's greatness. And here's how, how I think about it. The more you see God's greatness, the more aware you will be of your need for him in your life. He must increase. I must decrease. And so the more dependent you are on God, the more humble you automatically become. And then because you're dependent on God and your trust is in him, the more confident you automatically become. So it's like you're just humble and confident at the same time. It's like in 2 Corinthians 3. Now that we, uh, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim as anything, uh, anything is coming from us. That's humility, okay? So we're not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That's where we draw godly confidence. If my sufficiency is found in God, I can never feel insufficient because God is always with me, right? You see how these things go together? They go together. They might come from different places. Insecurity and humility, pridefulness and confidence. They come from different places and they're oftentimes confused, but they result in very, very different outcomes. Pridefulness says, I'm awesome. Confidence says, God is awesome. Pride says, I can do anything. Confidence is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pride says, nobody can stop me. Confidence says, who can stand against the Lord? Pride says, I don't need anyone. I'm fine on my own. Confidence comes from knowing I'm never alone. God is always with me. 
Pride comes from faith in me. Confidence comes from faith in God. Trust in me, that results in pride or insecurity. Trust in God, that results in confidence and humility. It's like a two-edged sword. You can't swing one without the other. And it's important that you hold on to both humility and confidence as important values in your life. Because you could be humble, and if you lose your grasp on godly confidence, you can easily slip into insecurity. And you could also be very confident, and that's a good thing. But if you lose your grasp on humility, you can slip into pride. Do you see that? That's why I think we see Moses, who the Bible says was the most humble man on earth, actually starting to struggle with insecurity in this passage. I think that's what's happening here. In in Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. It's like he, he gave up trying to come up with excuses, and he's like, I just don't want to do it. Please, send someone else. And then it says, then the Lord became angry with Moses. That's a bad, that's a bad thing when God becomes angry at you. Amen? So I think this is probably the first record of Moses actually sinning in Scripture. At least for sure, God was angry because He was sinning in some way. God didn't become angry at Moses when he was just, you know, first starting to protest, like, who am I? God didn't rebuke him even when he killed the Egyptian. But here, God becomes angry. There's a certain point where God's patience turns into anger. He's, He's very patient. He's very patient. He's very patient, but then he gets angry at Moses. And I think Moses' humility ran wild, and it slipped into a place of insecurity, and that angered God. And God was very patient with him. Like he, he, he answered him, I will go with you. I am the one who will make this happen. I made your mouth. Moses has all these excuses, and God's answering very patiently. And finally, God has had enough, because Moses is like, I just don't want to do it. God got angry. And and so I think it's important to point out how patient God was with him because people sometimes make it out like God of the Old Testament is this angry, mean, wrathful God. And then in the New Testament, after Jesus came, God kind of chilled out and he became more loving and and PC and kind to people. And and that's not true. We've We've been talking about that a lot through this series that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so God is a loving father to us as Jesus introduced him to us that way. But God has always been a loving father. And you see that with his interaction with Moses here, all these protesting excuses, but God just answered him very patiently. You know, it's like you have kids, right? And they don't listen to you. And you're like, come on, it's time to brush your teeth. Come on, it's time to brush your teeth. Like at a certain point, I'm going to spank you if you don't listen to me. Like I'm very patient. I'm going to say it probably way too many times, but there's a point where delayed obedience becomes disobedience. Delayed obedience becomes disobedience. Some mom is writing that down right now. That's good, I'm gonna gonna use that. I'm gonna use that with my kids. Delayed obedience is disobedience. How does that maybe apply to some of you? I don't know who this is for, but I feel like someone may, maybe needs to hear this. There are some people in our church family, God's been calling you to take a step in some way, and you've known it for some time, and you've been saying, I need to do that. So when are you going to do it? 
you know you need to start serving. How many months are you going to talk about how you know you need to start serving? You know God's called you to start giving and tithing. How long are you going to be a Christian and let other people pay for the ministry that feeds your soul? When are you going to start reading the Bible? Or are you just going to keep talking about how you need to? When are you going to start telling people about Jesus and trust that he can use you, even though you don't have every answer? When are you going to start the business that God put in your heart? I don't know what he told you to do specifically, but delayed obedience is disobedience. Don't delay when God has called you. Just, just jump in and do it. Now, here's the thing. As much as we all want to do the right thing and we want to step forward with humility and confidence, it's hard, especially on our own. That's why we all need help. Amen. We need each other. We need community. Godly community is a guardrail to protect you from insecurity and pride. This is the next point if you're taking notes. Sometimes you need some backup. That's why we have life groups and different uh, things like that in our church where you can get together with other Christians and have relationship and be known. Because you need some backup in your life. Like Moses did. In chapter 4, it says he pleaded with the Lord, please send someone else. And the Lord became angry with Moses. And even though the Lord was angry with Moses, he responded with mercy and with grace. And he said, all right. Okay, how about this? What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. I mean, I made him. I know what he's good at. And look, here he is. He's going to be happy to see you. See, I would propose Moses never needed Aaron. God would have used him just fine. But God was merciful enough to Moses in his moment of insecurity to provide him with some support, with some backup, like training wheels. And honestly, that's kind of what Aaron was. In the first couple chapters, he, he speaks on behalf of Moses a few times. And then later in the book of Exodus, we don't see him speaking for Moses anymore. It's almost like Moses just needed a brother to have his back while he gained some confidence. And, and sometimes you need people like that in your life. Later in Exodus 17, there's a moment where the Israelites are fighting a battle. And when Moses raised his arms up, his army was winning the battle, and when he lowered his arms, his, his army started to lose the battle. And he had these two guys, Aaron and Hur, who brought a stone for him to sit on when he grew tired, it says. And they stood beside him and held his arms up until the sun went down. And sometimes we all need someone just to hold our arms up because you could do the right thing and you could want to do the right thing, but sometimes you just get tired. And I know a lot of godly men who want to do the right thing, but if you let yourself get tired enough and worn out enough, you can slip into sin that you wouldn't normally struggle with. And so you need people to come alongside you and hold your arms up and say, come on, you've got this. You can do this. You were made for this. We've got your back. Keep going. Don't quit. God is with you. We all need that. And then we also need people to help us when we are struggling with pride by rebuking us or correcting us. So we, we need help when we're struggling with insecurity. We also need help to protect us from pride. So what about you? Who has permission to call you out? Your spouse. If your spouse came to you and seriously confronted you about an issue in your life with love and tenderness, how would you respond? Honey, thank you for pointing that out to me. I know it wasn't easy. I received this rebuke. And I'm going to make some changes. Or would you just laugh it off? What if, uh, you know, a spiritual leader, a life group leader, or a friend from church, you know, sent you a message and just pointed out some areas where maybe 
blind spots were causing you to miss the mark? Would you receive it with humility? You're right, I need to reflect on this. Thank you. Or would you respond with self-righteous, angry indignation? How dare you? (laughs) Over the years, I've had people in our church who they were happy to call me pastor when I was telling them what they wanted to hear. But once I brought some correction, they were, how dare, who do you think you are to tell me I'm wrong? I'm like, I don't know who I am to you. Who's allowed to call you out? I'm grateful I have people in my life who can call me out. We all need that. It's actually a blessing to have people like that in your life. I have some pastor friends who are very close to me and we share a lot about Good times, bad times, struggles, we can be very real. And my wife knows these guys and their wives. And my wife, uh, we've all given our wives permission. Like my wife, I've given her permission in advance while I'm clear-headed and sane, honey, if I ever start acting crazy, you have my blessing to call up one of these guys and tell them. Because I know I respect them enough that if they rebuke me, I will listen And I know they love me enough that they'll actually do something about it. They love our family. They love our church. So you can call these guys up, and they'll call me up, and they'll set me straight. They'll rebuke me if they need to. They'll even get on a plane and fly to Phoenix and punch me in the face if that's what I need. In Jesus' name. That's a godly rebuke. Sometimes dudes need that. Amen? Hopefully you don't need it, but it's good to know you have it if you need it. We need people like that. You don't have to listen to everyone who tells you you're wrong because some people are just haters, right? But you need some people who can tell you when you're wrong. And Moses had that with his wife, Zephora. She called him out at one point, also really kind of saved his skin when he angered God. Uh, In chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law rebuked him for bad leadership. It says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what are you doing? What what you're doing is not good. Surely you and these people with you will wear yourselves out because the task is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. I know a lot of guys, you know, they'll be be struggling. You're like, bro, do you need some help? No, I got this. I got this. I don't think you got this. (laughs) I don't know if it was pride or just lack of awareness that was causing Moses to struggle here, but he was judging every single case of the Jewish people. They were all coming to him to settle their disputes. Can you imagine? It's like the DMV, but like a hundred times worse. There was a line of people probably going out the tent, stretching around the whole campground, and people are coming in one after another, like, Moses, my neighbor stole my chicken. And he's like, and his father-in-law comes along and is like, what are you doing, bro? This is too much for you. And Moses had enough humility to recognize that and delegate authority to other men. It takes humility to designate authority like that, but it saved him from being overwhelmed. You need the humility to admit, you're right, this is too much for me. I love in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes this, when Peter came to Antioch, I told him face to face that he was wrong. This is great. And it says he he called him out in front of everyone publicly too. He just called him out. And he also wrote it down in scripture so we would all read about it 2,000 years later. I love that this is here because then it makes me not feel like such a jerk when I'm confrontational. Sometimes you just got to tell people they're wrong. You know what I mean? Praise God. 
But how would you respond if someone just called you out and was like, hey, I love you, but you're just in the wrong? You kind of have to decide ahead of time how you're going to respond in those moments. And if you're not humble, it's not going to go well. God leads us to walk in humble confidence, humble confidence. And we all want to do that. So how do you do it on a day-to-day basis? Let's just put some practicality here, some handles on this. You want to prepare like it depends on you, pray like it depends on God, and proceed like the battle's already won. Preparation is an act of humility. Because God gives you gifts, and there are things that you're just good at because God gave you gifting and talent in that area. But preparation is good stewardship of your gifting, and it sharpens your gift to its fullest potential. Um, I can relate to Moses in some ways as I, I read the story. I think we all sometimes relate to the characters we're reading about. But when God called me into ministry, I definitely did not feel qualified at all. I had a, a similar reaction to Moses. <laughs> like, who, me? Like, who am I to be a pastor? I don't even feel like I'm a good Christian. Like, how am I going to be a pastor? I just did not feel qualified at all. And uh, then when I thought about preaching, that just felt like an overwhelming burden that I could not carry. It just seemed like such a huge thing to me. Growing up, when I was when I had to speak in front of people, I would get nervous. I would stumble over my words and, and sometimes even kind of stutter a little bit. Uh, and I remember the first time that I ever preached a sermon, it was in this room. It was on a Sunday night, and there was only about 50 people in the room, but I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. <laughs> During the last worship song, I was sitting in a chair with my head on the chair in front of me, and I'm like hyperventilating. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife was in the room. She, we weren't married yet, and she was just probably watching me like, what is wrong with him? <laughs> and I mean, I had been to combat zones and jumped out of airplanes, but I was more scared in that moment because I'm like, I'm about to preach the word of God. <laughs> it just seems so overwhelming to me. And I, I found over time that the more I prepared, the more confident I feel. And so normally on a week, I'll prepare for a sermon about 10 to 20 hours. And I haven't preached every sermon great, but I can tell you, I have never phoned it in. (laughs) You know, if you grew up in church like I did, you probably had some Sundays where the pastor walked up on stage and he was like, I really feel like the spirit's moving. We're just going to keep singing the rest of the service. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so you didn't get to study this week, did you? The other thing that I do to prepare, I still do this every single week. It's a little bit of a life hack, kind of a pro tip here, because I know a lot of people, they, they fear public speaking. And so I would struggle with my words getting twisted and kind of tongue-tied. And so what I do now, every single weekend before I preach, I do like a warm-up for my tongue. <laughs> so here's how it goes. Okay, I found this video on YouTube. It works really well. What you do is you go through the alphabet and you say all the consonants and you say each consonant with each vowel sound attached to it. And it sounds like this. So you do B would be the first consonant. It'd be like Baba, Biba, Biba, Boba, Booba. <laughs> and then you go to the next one. Keika, Kika, Kaika, Coca, Kuka, D, Data, Dida, Dida, Doda, Duda. And you just get faster at it. Like, fafa, Fifa, Fifa, Fofa, Fufa. Right? You just start... 
and, you, and as you do that, like your, your synaptic connections between your brain and your tongue, they get all fired up and they're like, your mouth is ready to work right, you know? And, and so if you ever see me doing that during worship service, you probably thought I was just praying in tongues, but <laughs> I'm actually, I was probably warming up my tongue and I pray in tongues. I just do both. They both, they both kind of help. So it's preparation. And I found that being prepared helps me not to feel as nervous as an act of humility to take the time and prepare because you know, hey, if I prepare, I'm going to do better. I'm not just going to rely on gifting and hope the spirit moves. I'm going to do my part to prepare as a good steward, right? And, And I think about that with Moses, like when he was growing up in the palace of King Pharaoh, You know, he was learning the skills. He got the education he would need to govern and lead God's people. He probably didn't realize at the time what God was preparing him for. And honestly, you probably don't always realize how a lot of your past experiences were intentionally put into your life by God to prepare you for a future season, a future calling, a future ministry. There are some things you'll look back on and be like, that was so weird that God let me go through that. And then later you'll say, oh, now I see. I didn't know when I was growing up as a pastor's kid that the thousands of services I sat through and the thousands of sermons I heard as a kid in church, a lot of times not paying attention, writing, passing notes to my friends, you know, goofing off. But it was an internship (laughs) preparing me for something future that God had for me. I didn't know at the time, but God was preparing me. So then we wanna pray like it depends on God. You wanna have the humility to make yourself totally dependent on God. And even though you say, hey, I've prepared, I've sharpened my gift to the best I can, I've disciplined myself, I still know that my best is not good enough if God does not help me. So I need God to move. Later in Exodus 33, there's a point where Moses says, God, if you don't go with me, We don't want to go from here. He's saying, I need you. Without you, it's hopeless. With you, anything is possible. And so when you pray that way, like, God, I need you. God, I need you. Especially for a lot of you, if you're a type A achiever and you're used to just taking care of business and getting stuff done, you will often slip into, depending on your own abilities and skills, to get the job done. I know because I've been there, uh, so we have to remind ourselves, no, it's not about me. It depends on God. I need to rely on him. I need to pray like it depends on him. And then you've prepared, you've prayed. Now it's time to proceed like the battle's already won. You got to walk forward in confidence, knowing that if God called you, he will lead you. If he chose you, he will equip you. If he gave you a promise, it will come to pass. So we know this, that although you might feel weak at times and inadequate, there are many ways in which you are inadequate, but your weaknesses won't stop God's promises. And I love the old church saying that God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And he can do that with you. We saw with Moses that exaggerated humility, I think it caused him to slip into insecurity. And that will happen where insecurity, if you let it fester in your life, it will rob you of opportunity. God wanted to use Moses in a special way and insecurity caused this weird dynamic where Moses had to rely on Aaron for a season. And I don't know if that was God's perfect plan for his life. And it's hard to know God's 
plan exactly, but I think there are times when God will call someone for a purpose, and if they don't respond, if they don't obey, if they refuse to participate, God will just raise up someone else. I think it happens, and we see it in Scripture. Like in 1 Samuel, when the Israelites were facing the Philistine army, think about King Saul. He could have been the one to go out and face Goliath. Saul was the king. He was the one with the armor and the training. It was his job to lead the people and stand courageously. But you notice today, we don't tell the story of Saul and Goliath. We tell the story of David and Goliath. Because Saul refused to step forward in confidence, and so God raised up David in his place. We see this uh, in 1 Samuel 17. David shows up and he says to King Saul, he says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. <laughs> Don't tell PETA that in the Bible, animals are getting clubbed to death. Uh, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. I love this passage. It perfectly demonstrates everything we're talking about in this sermon. David shows up with a confidence in God, and the people around him were shocked. They're like, who are you? You're a boy. They thought he was cocky. They didn't recognize that his confidence wasn't cockiness because his confidence was in God. And yet you see the humility of David. He didn't think he was too good to go out into the, sh the fields and take care of sheep. Yeah. He didn't say, I'm too good for this. I've already been anointed to be the next king. He went out and he just did the thing he was called to do. And while he was out in the fields taking care of sheep, he had some really helpful experiences fighting predators with his bare hands and I guess clubbing them to death. <laughs> and those experiences built his confidence. So when he saw Goliath, he said, hey, this isn't my first time fighting to the death with a sharp-toothed predator. I'm not afraid of this guy because the same God that rescued me from the lion and the bear will rescue me from this guy. Tons of confidence, but all his confidence was in the Lord, right? And you think about the humility he showed. If you know the story, King Saul said, okay, fine, well, you can wear my armor, and, and I think that would have been tempting for a lot of teenage boys. Like, I get to go into battle wearing the king's armor? <laughs> I'm going to look good. <laughs> Put the armor on, get some photos for my Instagram. I'm going to look so good. All the girls are going to be like, hey. But he's like, no, that's not my armor. It's not going to fit me. It's not right for me. It takes humility to just recognize that. So he had confidence and he had Humility, and it goes on to verse 45 where David comes face to face with Goliath who's big and he's armed to the teeth and he's talking trash. And it says, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. 
And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. So you see it again. It's confidence in the Lord. And if you think the Bible's boring, it's because you haven't been reading it. Right here, you got David's doing Mortal Kombat, cutting off heads. I mean, this is real right here. HBO doesn't have anything on this. But notice, if you walk in humility, I want you to be on guard against this. There will come times where people mistake your humility for weakness. And they'll think they can walk all over you. They think they can take advantage of you. Don't let that discourage you from being humble. Because your humility actually gives you strength and it results in God's blessing. It says in Proverbs 22, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. That's good. And listen, if you walk in confidence, people will mistake your confidence for cockiness. Like, who do you think you are? But don't let that stop you from being bold. In Romans 8, 31, it says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? I mean, if you read this, how can you not feel confident? Amen? I have a good friend. He's a pastor, and so we'll talk every now and then, and uh, we'll talk about church and how it's going, and he's a really good guy, really sweet guy, and when we get off the phone, he'll always say this to me. He'll say, hey, love you, bro. Stay humble, and whenever he says that, I always think to myself, stay humble. It's kind of a silly thing to say because if I'm already humble, I don't need you to tell me to stay humble. But if I'm prideful and you tell me to stay humble, I probably wouldn't listen to you anyway. And I can't tell you I'm already humble because then I sound not humble. And I can't tell you that telling me to stay humble is stupid because then I don't sound humble. So I just say, okay. <laughs> but I bring that up because here's what I think. Humility is not something you choose. It's who you are. Confidence is not something you choose. You either have confidence or you don't. Humility and confidence are both byproducts of another choice. Humility and confidence are the fruit of choosing to follow Jesus. Letting Jesus be your Lord and Savior produces the fruit of humility and confidence in your life. Your very relationship with Jesus started with an act of humility where you humbled yourself and recognized your own sin and you said, I need a savior because I can't save myself. That's humility. And so you put your trust in Jesus and you said, I'm gonna trust in Jesus to save me. Jesus said he would save me. Jesus said he loves me. And that's when you start to build confidence as a follower of Jesus. And you read the word of God and it says, okay, through Jesus, you are made perfect in God. God's sight. You have a standing in God's sight of righteousness, so you know that God sees you as righteous. In Jesus, you have the full rights of inheritance as a son or daughter of God. So every good gift that God has in heaven stored up for you is yours through faith in Jesus. You know that through Jesus, you have the promise of eternal life. You know that through Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, so everywhere you go, you're you're never alone. God is always with you. So you are constantly walking in humility 
and with confidence as you follow Jesus and let him lead you. And you're not going to be there perfectly just instantly overnight, but the longer you keep walking with him, the more you get to know him, the more you trust in him, the more you let him teach you and correct you and mold you and shape you and transform you, the more humble you come and the more confident you become at the same time. You don't just go pick humility off the shelf and put it in your car. You just are humble. You just are confident because you become more like Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray for anyone who's here tonight who struggles with insecurity, that you'll encourage them with a reminder of your love and their standing in you. I pray for any of us here who struggle with pride, that you'll remind us of our need for you and our total dependence on you. Thank you for your love. And I also just want to say this for anyone who might be here, and maybe you need to begin your relationship with Jesus tonight. And you say, I need that. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. So if that's you, pray this prayer with me just a way, as a way of expressing what's in your heart. Just say, God, I need you. I confess that I have sinned, and I need your forgiveness. I put my trust in Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross in my place for my sins so that I could be forgiven. And I believe he rose again so that I could have eternal life victory and hope thank you lord for loving me and i ask you to lead me for the rest of my days in jesus name amen amen hey let's stand to our feet we're going to respond to this sermon in a moment with some worship with time of giving and i want to encourage you not to rush out of here this isn't just transition music okay i would i want to ask you to take these next few minutes and for you to personally ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in how you need to respond to this message. Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you needed to just be encouraged about your standing in Christ. Maybe you need to put your focus on God and the Holy Spirit is saying, you've just been overemphasizing your own importance in this relationship. You need to put your eyes on me, but whatever God speaks to you, you can respond to that as we sing. Let's worship together. God, we love you and we thank you. We give you all the glory and the honor because you're good and you deserve it. We thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus. In your name we pray, amen and amen.